Police across the country like to have high clearance rates. It's a sign that the agency can catch criminals and close cases. But a team of reporters found that officials were bending the rules when it came to clearing rape cases. Police departments were using something called exceptional clearance to boost their numbers. This designation is meant to be used rarely. It's for cases where police have enough evidence to make an arrest, but they can't bring charges for reasons outside their control. But Newsy, ProPublica, and Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting found police departments across the country are exceptionally clearing rape cases much more often than they should, leaving violent suspects on the streets. The majority of police agencies in America are still largely reporting crime statistics in a manner that shields or masks uh, if they exceptionally cleared someone or, um, or indeed led to an arrest. At the 2019 Computer Assisted Reporting Conference, members of the team discussed how the story came together, how they worked together, and how other reporters can localize this story. The panel included Mark Greenblatt and Mark Fahey from Scripps Washington Bureau, Sophie Shu from ProPublica, Emily Harris from Reveal for the Center for Investigative Reporting, and Nadia Hamden from KUT Austin. On this bonus episode, we're sharing highlights from that session. We'll go behind the story to learn how reporters collaborated to uncover how exceptional clearance is being manipulated across America's 100 largest police departments. I'm Kelly Knoyer, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Mark Greenblatt and Mark Fahey work for Scripps Washington Bureau, and by extension, Newsy. Scripps acquired the news network several years ago and have been working to brand it around investigative reporting. The Marks were working on a different story that used FBI crime data when they noticed something off. When you look at something like murder, there's a very, very small percentage that are cleared exceptionally. But when you looked at rape cases, it was much, much higher. And in some cases, individual jurisdictions, it was making up the vast majority of their clearance rate which just seemed very fishy from the start. This type of clearance is only supposed to be used when the circumstances around the crime are exceptional. Here's Mark Greenblatt. Police in America, uh, according to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Rules, uh, can clear a case in only one of two ways. They can arrest someone or they can do something called exceptionally clearing uh, the uh, suspect. This is supposed to be used very rarely uh, in cases such as if the suspect is dead and can no longer be arrested. Uh, But what uh, we found is that the majority of police agencies in America are still largely reporting crime statistics in a manner that shields or masks uh, if they exceptionally cleared someone or, um, or indeed led to an arrest. They wanted to learn more, so they found a researcher who had written about that discrepancy in Los Angeles. Here's Mark Fahey. What she had done is looked at Los Angeles, so she only had data for that one city, and she had written all those pages just about that one city, but she had a whole section about how exceptional clearance is being overused there. And so when we talked to her on the phone, she said, oh, this is definitely a real problem in Los Angeles, but no one knows all around the rest of the country how often people are abusing this category to increase their clearance rates. And we said, well, what would you do if you had the time and the resources to really try to figure out what was going on there? And she said, uh, well, I would just send a request to every major city in the United States and ask them for their internal case management database data. So that's what Mark and I set about to do. The reporters sent in records requests to the 100 largest police agencies in America. But they had to fight to get the records, Mark Fahey says. 
basically everyone started off saying no. It, was, it must have been like 70% of places. So one thing we learned is that people will just say no and you should just not, you should expect and not accept that as the final answer. Some agencies said the costs would be astronomical, like the L.A. County Sheriff who originally wanted to charge the reporters more than $3,700 for the data. So they were strategic about the negotiation. Here's Mark Greenblatt. Uh, what we did was we used or other cities that were responders, and we sort of shamed agencies like this, and so we simply told them, well, look, the LAPD gave it to us for 10 bucks, San Jose gave it to us for $7.83, uh, and a whole bunch of others gave it to us for free. So what up? Like, why are you that inefficient? Literally since... Uh, your new sheriff was elected. Uh, why, why, have you be, why has your new sheriff become so inefficient? Other agencies said they didn't track any data. You know, it's amazing how many people will claim that they have no data or they cannot do it, uh, even though you know they have it for sure. The New York Police Department at first told us, we'll give you all our incident-level data except for the column where it tells you how, if we exceptionally cleared it or not. And we said, why not? And they said, because city council is interested in that too, and we don't want to give it to them. And I said, well, that's nice, but, you know, it's uh, not an exemption under the FOIL, or maybe you can share with me if I'm not educated yet. And they said, well, we can't do that, so forget about what we told you in writing a second ago. Uh, Now we're going to tell you we don't have any data at all, so go away. knew they wanted to work with partners on this investigation. They had worked with Reveal in the past and thought the newsroom's experience with long-form audio storytelling would be helpful. The massive scale of the project also called for collaboration. With 100 data requests to juggle, Reveal's Emily Harris said tracking interactions with each agency was key. Just keeping really good track of who you've asked what. You know, we had a column in our spreadsheet of which reporter was talking to which county you know, how many times we'd, whether, what days we'd contacted who by email, whatever. So keeping really good records of what you were doing was also helpful because it's so massive. That spreadsheet of contacts was key for bulletproofing the data analysis. The fact-checking process started when ProPublica came in, about halfway through the project. The spreadsheet tracking contacts made it easier for reporters to go back and confirm their analyses with each police department. But with so many agencies and systems for tracking data, a lot of what they gathered was unusable. Here's Sophie Shu from ProPublica. And so I sat down side by side with Mark Fahey over Zoom, like late nights, to go through all this wonderfully documented um, FOIA requests with nuances for every police department and um, look at ultimately what we feel comfortable reporting. And when we did that, we ended up tossing up out 14 more police jurisdictions because we couldn't confidently stand behind their numbers. And in the end, more than one in three of the 103 police departments we requested data from turned out to be unusable. You can't rely on data being entered accurately or on time. And those issues can really mess up an analysis. One thing that I always try to keep in mind is that dirty data is everywhere. You can't ever assume that you can include a statistic, even if you've looked at all the other characteristics before. This story was national in scope, but to tell it effectively, the reporters needed to focus in on one city and get specific. Once the reporters had the data, they started looking into Austin, Texas. They wanted to talk to the police chief there, but they didn't put the interview request in right away. Instead, Mark Greenblatt sent their analysis of the department's data back to Austin's police department. We asked them, can you check our our numbers? And they actually came back in writing and said, "Uh, we agree with your analysis. We do have a lot of exceptional clearances. 
Once that was on the record, the time was right to ask the police chief about the high number of exceptional clearances. They asked the police department for an interview, but were repeatedly ignored. Uh, they said nothing for uh, more than a month. I think, you know, probably seven or eight follow-up emails. My boss was screaming at me, what's taking so long? Uh, and eventually, uh, we had a, a written trail of them ignoring us for a long time. And so we elevated the uh, issue to the mayor uh, of Austin, uh, Steve Adler, uh, letting, letting him know at the time about the data, uh, that the police confirmed the, the escalation in, um, in exceptional clearances. Within days, we were able to get this interview. Getting the chief on the record helped the reporters hold law enforcement leaders accountable, and having the data in hand helped the reporters fact-check the police chief during the interview. Here's a clip of Mark Greenblatt interviewing Austin Police Chief Brian Manley. With the rapes that are exceptionally cleared, you do believe that the Austin Police Department, something in the case file, means that you've gathered enough evidence to support an arrest? Yes. I couldn't exceptionally clear it otherwise. That means there are 1,416 people out there who the Austin Police Department has established probable cause to make an arrest on, but has not made the arrest, there is no prosecution, and they're on the streets. That's a lot of people out there that you have probable cause to make an arrest on that you're not arresting. The issue of exceptional clearances wasn't just about data. Victims weren't getting justice, and that's an important piece of this story. Building trust with victims was essential to putting a human face on the problem. So Mark Greenblatt traveled to Austin to work with sources. The quicker I can get off the phone and get in front of real people face to face, you build trust. And that eventually uh, you can ask, uh, you can build a network from the people you're involved in. This story was no secret to those in Austin, as I soon found out. And I, I really began to understand that this was not a data story. This was a terribly gut-wrenching story that impacted real people and really was leaving truly bad people uh, on the streets. Greenblatt was able to find and interview a retired sex crimes detective, and he eventually found some victims, too. Rape victim Marina Connor very courageously decided to share her story full face on camera. Um, she did not know that her case was exceptionally cleared until we told her about it. Connor was violently raped by a stranger one night in 2015. After the attack, she did everything a victim is supposed to do. She went to police, she got a medical exam, they even found the guy who did it, but he said the sex was consensual. Police let the man go and cleared the case before they ever got the rape kit results back from the lab. Here's a clip from Reveal where Connor talks about sitting down with the investigator. And then I sat down with her and she immediately started to try to talk. I told her no. I was like, you're going to let me talk? I described my rape to her. I made her look at me while I told her what happened to me. I was like, you're going to look at me as a person, as a survivor, not as this file sitting in front of you. And you're going to tell me why you're not prosecuting my rapist. I didn't know that my case was considered exceptionally cleared. It's just very offensive to me that they're using me and using my case to make it look like the city's safe. Telling a data story on the radio has some unique challenges, Emily Harris says. There's, a, there's challenges when you're doing data reporting in audio. We didn't have any visuals, so we can't do neato graphs that grow and move across the screen like TV. Um, and um, numbers, 
I wrote up there that they can be hard to follow, but really the problem is if you make your listeners think about something just even a little bit too long, they don't hear what you're saying next. So that's why numbers really need to be very presented easily in radio, because you don't want people to start thinking about something else. You want them to keep listening to the story. Understanding the data is crucial to understanding the story. So to make it work for audio, Reveal aired an interview with two of the reporters, Bernice Young and Mark Greenblatt. And they walked through it, um, but uh, since it was a conversation, it was able to keep it very human and, um, and again, not too, um, not, not confusingly numbers heavy. We made it make a lot of sense, which is the, you know, because you can't go back and read radio. Here's a clip of Bernice and Mark talking with Al Letson, the host of Reveal. And we got data back from more than 60 of them. And what we discovered was shocking. Almost half the big cities and counties took more rape cases off of their books by marking them exceptionally cleared than by actually arresting a suspect. That's according to their own numbers. So does that mean most clearances don't include an arrest? Well, in almost half the communities that we looked at, that's exactly what we found. Take Hillsborough County, Florida, where Tampa is. There's a really big sheriff's office there. And in 2016, if you look at the combined clearance rate, it looks really good, 65%. But when we analyzed their raw numbers, we found that only 12% of rape cases led to an arrest. And more than three times as many were cleared exceptionally. No arrest made and no charges filed in those cases. And we found very high exceptional clearance rates in lots of places. Oakland, California, and Austin, Texas are just two more examples. And in smaller cities, too, really just all over the map. A few law enforcement agencies cleared over 60% of their rape cases by exceptional means. Collaborating across newsrooms can be difficult, but Emily says the reporters found some things that worked for them. We had a lot of honest, transparent conversations, but you know where it was at? It was at the reporter level. Um, Mark and Mark and Bernice and I, I mean, we had our signal group. We were talking all the time. We had a lot of phone calls, and basically we worked a ton of stuff out um, before any of us flagged it up for our editors. The story became even more collaborative over time. Nadia Hamden, a KUT radio reporter in Austin, was hired to record an interview with the city's police chief. After that interview, Nadia quickly started doing more reporting. And, you know, then it was my job as a reporter to then, you know, kind of take the baton, and Mark and everyone has been so helpful with that. Things moved fast after Nadia's piece aired. You know, two days later, you know, our organization got a statement from the mayor. You know, shortly after that, there was a city council meeting. Victims came forward saying, I heard this and learned about this and learned that my case was exceptionally cleared. It was very powerful testimony given in front of city council. All the ongoing local reporting in Austin drew a lot of attention to the issue of exceptional clearance. The Texas Department of Public Safety audited the Austin Police Department's clearance practices. The audit final results show that a third of the cases that they looked at, which was about three months in 2017, you know, 30 out of 95 of the cases they looked at, it showed that they were improperly cleared. So then, you know, the the, ter- the interview that initially Mark did with Uh, APD and Chief Manley, where he said, no, I'm confident that we've cleared these all correctly, was immediately proven wrong. The reporters were able to cover a lot of ground, but they couldn't give every police department the scrutiny it deserved. But that doesn't mean the story is over. Part of what we're hoping for is in those places that local reporters will be able to follow up with those. And we have had a lot of engagement with local reporters who are, you know, filing the same request we put in and really, like, attacking their their home city because, uh, as you said, we can't do it for all 100 places. 
And Mark Greenblatt agrees. I think it's the tip of the iceberg, uh, what we have done. It needs local reporting. You saw some of what Nadia did. The Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting did some tremendous work. They took an initial trove that we had published and then just really ran and really started questioning their local officials. And and the story took on an entirely new local life of its own. We need local reporters. This is, this I, we really hope is not the end of the story. We hope it's the beginning. Uh, And and, and it'll be up to local reporters in, in local communities to kick butt, and we hope that happens. Thanks for listening. Take a look at our episode notes for links to this story and resources to get started on this story in local newsrooms. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Abby Ivory-Ganya co-produced this episode. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Kelly Kenoyer. Podcast. Podcast.